Holiday traffic. A little slower today. You mean the deer? You were following the deer? Oh. Oh, I wasn't following the deer. <laughs> well, let's turn to 1 John 3. Sin. What do we think of sin in our life? How do we view sin in our life? Do we uh, accept it, justify it? The scripture today sort of talked about sin and the child of God. This is what John is talking about today. And uh, we're going to talk about the nature of sin and, and really Jesus' role in removing our sin. And that, what is sin? And when, as we read through the scriptures today, they're sort of hard. So as we looked at the, the first part of 1 John, as we were going through that, he would give us verses like, well, if you say that you are of the light and you're walking in darkness, you're a liar. Truth is not in you talks about all these challenges in our life that, you know, if we hate our brother, how can the love of God abide in us? And he was sort of hard the first few chapters. And then he came to the part that says, but guess what? You're a child of God. And so we have this, this comfort in knowing that we are a child of God, that, that we are his and we are in his hands if we're truly a child of God. And that's the question that John is really posing here as we come into the scriptures today. Because if you are a child of God, he says, this is what should be happening in your life. And so the question is, again, and as I look at scripture, and as we read through scripture, it's not to look at others and to say, well, look at, look at the problems in your life, or look at the faults or your shortcomings. But it's for me to look at my life. And to say, where am I in my relationship with God? What do these scriptures mean to me and how I live? So sin, easily defined as lawlessness. It's really the most basic root. Sin is lawlessness. Uh, it's a disregard for the law of God. So God has told us many things in the scriptures, the way that we should live, the fruits we should be bearing, the things that we ought to be doing. And so when we're not doing those things, it's a disregard for the law of God, for God's word, which essentially is a disregard for the lawmaker or God himself. So when we look at sin, we can say we are disregarding what God has told us to do. We are disregarding the way that God has told us to live. And we often fail our battle against sin because we don't call sin what it is. We don't call sin, sin. We say things like, well, if I've done anything wrong, so we can be bitter, we can spread gossip, we can say hurtful things, we can do hurtful things, and instead of saying I've sinned, we can just say things like, well, you know, if I've done anything wrong, or mistakes were made, and that all minimizes and compromises what sin is. For the believer, at least in my life, when I hear the word sin, it's dirty to me. When I think of sin, to me it's like dirty. When I think of sin in my life, it makes me feel dirty. And so it's a lot easier to say, well, I made a mistake. Because that doesn't feel quite so dirty. That just feels like, well, I had a lapse in judgment. We need to call sin what it is. And it's really a disregard for God and what he has in our life. And so when we look at sin, we need to call it for what it is. Stoat tells us this, and as I, as I was doing my research, I didn't want to really look at the, the contemporary preachers and what they're saying because most of them have really softened up a lot on, 
on what these things mean. But I went back to some of the old ones of Barclay and, and Matthews and, and uh, Spurgeon and Stoke, and I was reading about what they said because, you know, they lived in a day where they would say what they needed to say. And if people didn't like it and left, they would say, that's fine. I'd rather have a small group of people that want to embrace the truth of God than to have a church full of lukewarm people that don't want any change in their life, that want to be comfortable in their sin. But Stoltz says this, he says, The first step towards holy living is to recognize the true nature and the wickedness of sin. Are you doing that in your life? When you look at sin in your life, are you looking at the, the, the true nature of it, which is to separate us from God, and the wickedness of it? That it's vile, that, that it is, is something that God the Father couldn't even look upon the cross of Christ when he was dying because of that sin, that Jesus bore. That's how God views sin. Can't even look upon it. And here we embrace it, we live in it, and we walk in it, and we sometimes glory in it. John here defines the mission of Jesus Christ. Again, at its most basic level, is to take away sins in our life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever shall believe Okay, forgiveness of sins. He's our redeemer. Amen. He's the one that has come to, to free us from the bondage of sin. That's the very basis of it. The angel Gabriel promised Joseph regarding the, the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 1. It says, you shall call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us from our sins. So why are we saying that sin doesn't matter? Why are we minimizing sin in our life? Why are we accepting sin in the world? Jesus takes away our sin and taking away the penalty of sin. He who is without sin became sin for us. He went to the cross and died for me. My sin put him on the cross. We like to say things like, well, he died for the sins of the world. We're all sinners. We all fall short of glory. We like to be a part of a crowd because then there's not a whole lot of personal accountability. No. Jesus went to the cross because of my sin. If I was the only one that had ever sinned in all of creation, Jesus would have come down and gone to the sin, or gone to the cross for my sin. I put him there. I'm the ones that put the nail in his hands. I'm the one that caused him to get whipped and scourged. I'm the one. My sin. And when we begin to view sin in that way, it's sort of a heavy thing on our heart. It's, it's, a, it's a weight. But if we minimize it, if we lessen it, then we don't feel quite so bad. But he's taken away the penalty of sin. He suffered death on the cross, so I don't need to taste death. He says, I've come to give you life, and that more abundantly. He's offered me eternal life. Beauty for ashes. My sin has been wiped away if I'm truly a child of God. He takes away sin by taking away the power of sin. When I was growing up, I can't remember what show it was, laughing or something like that, but there used to be this little guy, the devil made me do it. I always do this little dance. A lot of times in our life, I've heard that echoed over and over in my 30 years of ministry, Christians and myself and my life too. 
oh, the devil got a hold of me, and the devil made me do this, and, and oh, it just got a... No. That's nowhere in the Bible. Well, for the non-believer, but not for the child of God. I want you to know that if you're sitting here today and you're a born-again believer, you're a child of God, and, and you're continuing in sin, it's because you are choosing to continue in sin. You can justify it, you can do whatever you want to, but it holds no weight. We sin because we want to sin. The sin that John was talking about here. Jesus came to take away the power of sin in our life for those that are following his example, that are following in his footsteps. Philippians says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He gives us the power to overcome. No temptation has overtaken us but that which is common to man. And when we are tempted, he has provided a way out. We stand without excuse as a child of God. He has provided us a way out. He has taken away the sting of sin, the power of sin in our life. The devil doesn't make you do anything as a child of God unless you want to do it. Jesus takes away the presence of sin. And this work is completed when we will be with the glorified Christ in all eternity. So when you are born again, he's forgiven our sins, past, present, and future. It doesn't mean that we still don't have sin in our life. We have sin in our life. I think John 1, 1 John 1, 8 talks about that. If you say you have no sin, you lie. John likes calling us liars. Because he understands the nature of the new Christian to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm doing this. I'm a Christian, but this is okay. I'm a Christian and this and that. And John's saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. Verse 6 talks about this. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. So the question is, are you abiding in sin or are you abiding in God? You step back and say, well, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? Whoever abides in him does not sin. You just said that we sin. So it's, under, it's important here that we understand what the Bible means and what it does not mean when it's talking about these things. And again, in, in the original language, there's some tenses and verbs and different things. According to the verb tense that John is using here, does not sin means does not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. Okay, so he's not just talking about like sin we discover in our life, sin we've stumbled into, sin we've maybe just chosen to, to do at that moment, but he's talking about a lifestyle of habitual sin. We're continuing to walk in the same sin over and over. We're choosing to remain in sin even though we know it's sin, and we're not repenting of that there. So he says if we are a child of God, whoever abides in him, if we are truly abiding in him, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, if we're truly abiding in him, and this is what the scripture says, this isn't my commentary, my thought, my, my statement, this is what scripture says, that if we are abiding in him, the habitual sin does not remain in our life. We're not going to have it in our life because we hate it and it repulses us because we have the spirit of God in us if we truly have the spirit of God in us. John has already told us in 1 John 1.8 again, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we can't say, well, we're sinless. We're not. I stand here saying I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
I stood condemned to death. He took my place. I have sin in my life. And when I recognize that sin, I want to call it what it is. It's sin. It's something that is repulsive to him. It is something that is unacceptable in the sight of God. And it's something that I need to deal with in my life. And if I choose not to deal with it in my life and continue in that, John is saying, are you really a child of God? So when we ask ourselves that question, are you really a child of God? The grammar in 1 John 3.6 indicates that John is speaking about a settled sin. Something that has taken a rest in our life. He's talking about a, a continued lifestyle of sin. So I come to Christ. And all of a sudden I realize that in my life I have this sin. What am I doing with that sin? Am I just saying, well, it's okay, everybody else is doing it. The world does it, everybody else accepts it, everybody else understands. Because John's not teaching here the, the possibility of sinless perfection. There's cults out there that will sort of teach you that. Well, you don't need to repent of your sins because they've been forgiven from the, from the day of your salvation. No, John's not teaching that. That'd be inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. What he is telling us is that that the Greek verb is an implied intent to continue to sin. It's a habit. Continuity. Sometimes we think, well, continuity is good. You know, we just have this, when it comes to sin, continuity is not good. Or, as Stoke would say, an unbroken sequence of sin in our life. So there may be sins that we are tempted with, that we struggle with, that, that we have in our life that, we're wrestling with and, and sometimes we lose the battle and, and then we gain victory again through Christ and then we, we may lose the battle again. That, that's sort of an unbroken thing. That, those can be ongoing things in our life sometimes uh, that we have. But this, this unbroken sequence or this habit or this continuity of sin just says this. Uh, it's in my life, I'm doing it, and uh, I guess God's just going to have to accept it in my life. His, his message is really plain and consistent with the rest of scriptures that teach about this sin in our life. And, and I want us to think about different sins in our life, because some people say, well, this sin isn't that, as bad as this person's sin. You know, with our words, James will warn us. We gossip, we lie, we say hurtful things, we say disrespectful things, we use our words in many ways that we shouldn't. Those are all just as bad a sins as the other sins. The sin that lost mankind with Adam and Eve in the garden was just a sin of disobedience. It'd be like me telling one of my children, don't take a cookie from the cookie jar, and they went and took a cookie from the cookie jar. Because God said, don't eat of this tree. They went and ate of that tree. In our mind and in our rationale, we say, well, that's not such a big deal, just eating a piece of fruit. What do you mean all of creation is condemned? See, we put levels on sins. This sin is great. This sin is worse. We can have sins of complacency in our life. God wants us to be doers of his word. Not hearers only, and we choose not to do things. We choose to sit at home and just to be comfortable. And we, we sort of think as Christians, 
Maybe sometime in our life we can retire and just, you know, somebody else can pick up the reins and go. That can be a sin in our life. Those things should repel us. Those things should be dealt with. And he says in the believer's life, they shouldn't be there. We went to a function yesterday where uh, a couple was starting a ministry, sort of an outdoor ministry. They had some land up in Phillips and they had dedicated to the Lord many years ago and they really felt over the last couple years that now is the time. They were sort of waiting for God to open doors and then COVID come and this and that. And as they're sharing and as they're talking about starting this ministry, she said, well, we had this vision uh, really became clear two years ago. I was 59 and a half and my husband was 64. So right now he's 66 and she's 62. And they're starting a brand new ministry. If you ever know what starting a ministry is about, it's a lot of work. But they said, you know what? God has us here for a purpose and a plan. We're not here just to sit back. The sin of complacency in our life. John is telling us that a lifestyle of habitual sin is inconsistent. Is inconsistent with a life of abiding in Jesus Christ. He's saying the two do not mix. Oil and water do not mix. If you are continuing in habitual sin, the challenge really is examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. If you're continuing in a sinful lifestyle, continuing to choose to be in sin when you know it's in sin, and you're trying to call yourself a believer in Christ, John is saying through this epistle that you're a liar and the truth does not abide in you. You might say, well, where's the grace of God? Where's this mercy? Where's the love of Jesus that, that we're all talking about? It's all there. He opens it wide open to us and says, here it all is. But we're choosing not to walk in it. God's grace isn't there to excuse us for the sin we're living in. God's grace is the gift of eternal life that the Holy Spirit has come into us and give us a life anew to change us, to make us into a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So a lifestyle of habitual sin, continued sin, adopted sin, choosing to continue in this sin is inconsistent with the life of abiding or living or being grafted into Christ. John is saying the two cannot be there. If you do not agree with it, you just do not agree with God, because that's what his word says. I'm just a proclaimer of what his word says. So the question is, do you sin or not? We each sin. We just read that in 1 John 1.8. If we say we're without sin, again, we're lying. How do you react when you sin? When, when all of a sudden you discover you have sin in your life, Sometimes that happens, like we're, we're involved in something, all of a sudden it's like, oh, God's word addresses that. I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be saying that. I shouldn't be living this way. How do you react when you sin? Do you give in to the pattern? Do you continue in that? Do you justify it? Do you adopt it? Do you let it dominate your lifestyle? Since a child of God will not do that. 
Last week, John comforted us greatly by saying, you're a child of God. He loves you. He's, he's got you in his arms. He's, he's holding you. But if you're not a child of God, your desire isn't for him. It isn't to be like him. The world is full today of, of people professing Christianity because they go to a church. They're professing Christianity because they said some prayer or maybe because they were baptized. The Bible tells us that the, the result of salvation is a changed life. It's a changed life. He's taken you out of the cesspool. He's taken you out of the, the garbage pit. And he's put something new in you. And so when we see that sin in our life, we deal with it. We humble ourselves. We go to God. We ask forgiveness. We don't try to justify it. We don't try to minimize it. We say it for what it is. Lord, it's sin. It's offensive to you. It's repulsive. And it should be repulsive in my life. When we have sin in our life, it should just it should turn our son, Lord. You know, and, and that's why the psalmist said, Lord, if there be any vile way in me, he's talking about sin, if there's any evil way, any vile thing in my life, Lord, reveal it to me because I don't want it in my life. God says, be holy as I am holy. Well, I can't be holy like God. That doesn't mean we don't shoot for that. You know, growing up, I wanted to be the best basketball player I could be. I was never going to be the best basketball player there was going to be. But it didn't mean I didn't try. It didn't mean my ideal wasn't there to, to practice and to do that which I needed to do to be the best that I could be. So God tells us in our life we need to do this. Do you humbly confess your sin? Or do you hide it? Do you minimize it? Do you justify it? Do you battle against the sin in your life? I mean, the struggle is real. In our lives, sometimes we have that struggle. I mean, we're tempted and we have these things, these, these vices, these things that sort of weave themselves into our life. But we have a battle because, you know what? The Holy Spirit is in my life. And even though I'm flesh, I have a spiritual side. And the Bible tells me the two war. And I know the two war. Because I experience it in my life. But I wrestle with it. I battle against it. Do you battle against it? And I don't battle against it in my power. If I do that, I fail. That's when I fall into sin more. But he says we can battle it with the power that Jesus gives. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He holds me up in his right hand. He is my protector and my shield. He is my all in all. The important thing in our life is that we never really sign this like a peace treaty with sin. Well, that's okay. You know, the peace treaty is like, well, we're at war, but we've sort of agreed to disagree. As a believer, we should never do that with sin in our life. If we have sin in our life, we need to deal with it. We need to continue to deal with it. We need to continue to battle with it. We have all these examples through the scripture. David probably being the most uh, prolific that we think about. I mean, he was involved in all sorts of things in these battles and these sins and whatever. But God saw his heart. David was battling. He repented. He called sin for what it was. In the moment, he may have justified it, but it was an unbroken pattern because he was driven to his knees. He was driven back to God. We don't excuse it by saying everybody has his own spiritual weakness or his own spiritual 
um, or his own sinful weakness or his own sinful areas. You know, we say, and this is mine. Jesus understands. Jesus does not understand the believer that chooses to continue to sin when he has come to set you free. Jesus understands this, that he came to give his life as a ransom for our salvation. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. He has come to set the captives free. He has come to redeem me from my sin. That's what Jesus understands. Your weaknesses in your your life are because you choose to walk in those weaknesses many times in your life. Because he tells us that as a child of God, unless you haven't put your faith in God, and you're trying to be holy, and you're trying to be moral, and you're trying to be a Christian without yielding fully and, and, and completely to Christ, you're going to continue to fail in all these areas of sin in your life. The weakness of the believer today is that they don't submit themselves to Christ. They don't yield themselves to one another. They're not accountable to each other. I've been so blessed in my life to have those that I am accountable to through my life that they're not impressed that I'm a pastor of however many years or that I've been a Christian this long or that I'm a chaplain at a prison or, or my size or whatever. They're not impressed by any of that. If they see something in my life, they come up and they address it. If I see something in their life, I'm open to address it because they love me. And I love them. And we're not doing it to be right or wrong. And, and I don't go and, and tell them my weaknesses, um, you know, thinking that they're going to go tell somebody else. I'm ashamed of sin in my life. I'm ashamed of when I fall short. And if I need prayer, I go to the body and I go to my people and I say, pray for me. Hold me accountable. Ask me the tough questions. But most today run and hide. They don't want the tough questions because they don't want to face the truth. John says, if you're doing that, you're a liar. And you don't even have truth in you. We should never sign peace treaties with that. It completely goes against everything that a child of God is in Jesus. To continue in those ways. It goes against everything that Scripture teaches. It goes against everything about the work that He does in our life. Because it says in verse 7 here that righteousness is going to show in a person's life. The life of Christ is going to be evident to those that are around. We don't need to go around telling people, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. They should see it in our life. Because I hear a lot of people that talk about Christianity, and I'm not a judge, I don't know their heart, I don't know their relationship with God. But what God does tell us in his word is that we can judge people by their actions. We can judge people by the way that they live, by a person's life. We can make judgments about them. We're not judging their salvation. But we can make judgments about that. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He says, let no one deceive you. Apparently... The church, the Christians of that day were being deceived. Do you think they're being deceived today? We have churches full today of people, I believe, that believe that they're Christians, but their life has no evidence of it. 
As a matter of fact, they're, they're, they're so much like the world, you can't even tell the difference. Those are the ones that need to say, I'm a Christian. Just in case you didn't know, I'm a Christian. Oh, oh really? I would have never known. That'd be sort of an embarrassing thing to, to hear somebody say, huh? Really? You're a Christian? Oh, wow. Our life should show that. Deception is all around us. And John did not separate religious righteousness, which the world is full of today, from a lifestyle of righteousness. See, religious righteousness is I go to church, I give my money, I, uh, you know, I tote my Bible around, I, I you know, dress up on Sundays, I observe the, the religious holidays. Religious righteousness, like the Pharisees. What's the rest of your week like? If we're made righteous by our faith in Jesus, as, as Romans 3 would tell us, it will be seen in the righteousness of our lives. People are going to see Jesus in us. We're going to be a light in a dark world. It's time, as Christians, that we get the dirt out of our life, that we get the sin out of our life, that we stop being comfortable in a dirty tent, and that we rely on the power of Christ and His Word and walk in His ways, and that we are a contrast to a world that is, is everything that God despises. The Bible clearly teaches that, that we are made righteous through Christ, and if Christ is alive in us by his Holy Spirit, it's going to be evident to all that are around. But listen to this quote from, from Spurgeon. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Think about that. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. You can call that a cheap grace. What do you mean? Well, God's unmerited love and the, grit, the grace that he has given us is through his son, Jesus Christ. We can live lives characterized by righteousness. Do you, do you know that? As believers, we're called to do it. We can live lives that are characterized by righteousness and not sin because we have been given the righteousness of Jesus. He has given us the power. He has given us the spirit. The world doesn't have a spirit. We have a spirit. And so the Bible warns us, don't quench the spirit of God. The Bible tells us, walk in the newness of life. Because there's a root of sin and there's a root of righteousness. And the thing is, is what are you tapped into? Where is your root? 8 and 9 tells us this. Again, scripture he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So he who sins is of the devil. Again, the, the grammar of that, the tense of that is habitual sin. So in my paraphrase of this, he's really saying, he who continues to walk in sinful ways that he knows is sinful is of the devil. Well, what did Jesus say? Your father, the devil. We can have our father 
the Lord, we can have our father, the devil. So John, again, this is the scripture, and it's a self-asking question. What do you do with the scripture like this? What do you do with it? Ask yourself this very question. He who sins, or continually sins, is of the devil, who has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. And again, he's talking about habitual sin, a pattern of sin, continuity of sin, because the true child, he's going to say, deals with that sin in his life. He confesses that. He turns it over to the Lord. He walks in his newness. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed, talking about the seed of God, his seed remains in him, remains in us. And he cannot sin because he has been born again. He cannot continue in that sin. That battle rages on. I don't want to overstep anything that scripture ever says, but I want you to ask yourself this. If you're continuing in a sinful pattern, in a sinful life, in a sinful way, do you really believe that the Lord is in your life also? Because Jesus says he has come that we might have life and that more abundantly. He has come to set the captives free. Jesus came, it says, to destroy the work of the devil, to release us from the bondage of sin. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? With your lips you give great swelling words, but your heart is far from me. I have given you an example that you should follow in my footsteps. If you love me, you will do what I command. What do you do with those scriptures in your life? God is asking us that question today. There's another quote of Spurgeon I would just like to share. He says, Labor under no mistake, sir. He that commits sin is of the devil. It is no use making excuses and apologies. If you are a lover of sin, you shall go where sinners go. If you who live after this fashion say that you have believed in the precious blood of Christ, I do not believe you, sir. If you had a true faith in that precious blood, you would hate sin. If you dare to say that you are trusting in the atonement while you live in sin, you lie, sir. You do not trust in the atonement. For where there is a real faith in the atoning sacrifice, it purifies the man and makes him hate the sin which shed the Redeemer's blood. Boy, you preach a message on that, you could empty out a church. But they spoke the truth. Our job is to preach the gospel, to speak the truth of the word of God. What do you do with these scriptures? He says Jesus came to take away our sins, but he says he also came to destroy the works of the devil. And that only happens when you're a child of God. The world is captive to the devil already. But for the believer, Jesus has come to destroy the work of the devil. doesn't mean Satan gives up on us. He's still wants to sway us and deceive us and, and do whatever he can. 
But Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our power to destroy the works of the devil. Not to neutralize the works of the devil. Not not to make them of of like no effect or or not to alleviate them, to make the the pain a little less of them or the influence of them a little better. And, And not to limit what the devil can do in the believer's life. No, it says that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. We should be saying, man, praise God for that. I have somebody that is my advocate that no matter what I face, he that is in me is greater than he who is of this world. And there's no need for me to bow to a world when I can bow to Christ and he will give me the strength that I need. John is simply emphasizing what it means to be born again. He says, when you are born again, there's a change that takes place. The old man has passed away. The old man has died. Behold, all things become new. I'm looking at things different. I'm feeling different. Uh, I'm seeing things different. God has opened my eyes. He's changed my heart. He's changed my mind. I see things in a bright new way. My life has purpose. My life has real, observable change. You know, the saying used to be amongst pastors that, you know, if you wanted to hear uh, how things were at home during the week, don't ask the pastor, ask his kids. Sometimes we can say that in relationships. If I want to know what type of a, a man it is, I don't ask him. I could go ask his wife, ask his children, right? We are so good at hiding things in our life. It's the same message that Paul preached. It's just the continuity of scripture. It's it's all over us. Paul was saying this, put off concerning your former conduct the old man. Put off that old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Remember when we started in John? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He says put all that off. That we are able to put on the new man. The new clothing. The, the, the new person that was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, get out of those filthy rags and dress in the righteousness of Christ. Let the world see the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Does the world see the difference that Jesus has made in your life? John tells us when we're born into the family of God, if you are truly a child of God, and I want you to have that assurance in your life that you're truly a child of God. That's between you and him. You know, you're sitting here today, maybe God's speaking to you about something in your life. But John is telling us that when we're born again, born into this family of God, there's a real change in our life. And there's a real change in our attitude of what sin is in our life. Do you have that in your life? Are you seeking after him? Are you looking in that mirror to see if you're in the faith? Is your desire to follow him or to live in the things of the world? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, sometimes your word can be a hard pill to swallow because it requires us to humble ourselves. It requires us to make changes in our life. It requires ourselves to yield to those around us. It sort of just strips us naked 
before the world. But Lord, that's where you get the glory. We need to stop glorying in ourselves. We need to stop hiding the sin in our life. We need to say, you know, this is who I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinful man. I'm a wretched man that I am. But Christ has come. Christ has cleansed. Christ has redeemed my life and he has made a difference. And though I'm not everything that I should be, thank God I'm not what I used to be. And I am a work in progress and God is working in my life now. I pray that the world would not see me, but that they would see Christ in me. My hope, my glory. That they would see that my desire is to walk ever closer to him. That I humble myself where I need to. That I, I call sin what it is in my life. And that I, that I address it and deal with it in my life. Father, help me to be that type of person. Help me to be that type of friend. That type of father. That type of husband. Help me to stop blaming everything in the world for the way that I am. And help me to take accountability for myself. Father, help me to walk in the newness of life. In the power that you have provided. In the righteousness that you have given. And I ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.